Welcome to Indie Film Weekly and No Film School Podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Oakley Anderson Moore. I'm Eric Lures. I'm John Fusco. It is March 15th, 2018, and on this week's South by Southwest special episode, the inside scoop from our week on the ground in Austin for America's coolest film festival. Welcome to this week's show, not from downtown Brooklyn, New York, but fortunately far away from a snowstorm and in beautiful Austin, Texas. Oh, it's so beautiful here. It's so nice. I, actually, we're, we're recording early in the morning and I, I realized this morning one of the things I love best about being in Austin is the morning light. There's like a very special glow in Austin in the mornings. Um Maybe that's just, it's just glowing because it's our sixth day you here. It's such a crazy yeah. night. You're so just really hungover. Early in the morning is 11, yeah. 10 a.m. too. Uh, actually, some of us were up early in the morning to prepare for this show. Um, anyway, it is, believe it or not, it's our third year as a podcast here at South by Southwest. No Film School has been around a lot longer, but I realize this is the first festival at which we have now recorded three um, three special episodes, so that's pretty exciting. Woo-hoo. And Oakley, you and I have been here the whole time, right? For all three of those, were you here the that first year? That is correct. Cool. We and then are. John, this is a second year here with No Film School, and Eric gets the first. So we have three, three generations. So Eric, you have to clean up the Airbnb when we check out. That's oh sort god, that's part of the hazing process. Yep, that is the it. rule. I forgot, but thanks for mentioning <laughs> oh that, god. Oakley. That's the rule. Um, so we will kick off with some newsy stuff before we get into what it's been like on the ground and sort of everything you need to know. Believe it or not, there are over 25 awards given out at South by Southwest, so I won't get into all of them. But uh, some of the big ones are the narrative feature competition, which went to Jim Cummings for Thunder Road. And in that category, there's a special jury recognition for first feature, which went to The New Romantic by Carly Stone. Uh, We have our documentary feature competition winner, which is How Woo for People's Republic of Desire. And that one also um, gives a special jury recognition for actually best cast, which I thought was kind of interesting for a doc to think about it having the best cast. It's a title called This One's for the Ladies. <laughs> the director is Gene Graham. And I know Eric was really eager to tell us more about it. I mean, it was just picked up by Neon for distribution later this year. Um, it seems it's become the thing of a documentary of legend, I feel like. The description is very... Uh, explicit in your face and is about a very specific uh i wouldn't even call it subculture in newark new jersey i feel like in newark everything is somewhat of a subculture (laughs) no offense Um, the underbelly of the country exactly exactly but um it's been talked about a lot it's everyone's kind of like um behind closed doors favorite documentary of the festival in a lot of exciting ways it feels like the right kind of festival uh film for here eric stop being coy what's the movie about uh, it's about male strippers uh, <laughs> and the women, I believe, who go there and love them. And it's uh, apparently very explicit, but also very fun. It is uh, a more diverse magic mic and a more behind the scenes. I haven't seen it, but I mean, the more sure. the more people talk about it, the more like antsy and, you know, they start blushing and it just has a real uh, literal figurative, literal and figurative <laughs> reaction uh, when they describe it. That sounds like fun. And actually, it's the only acquisition I've heard of so far. Have you guys heard of any other pickups at South by Southwest? We talk every year about how it's not a big industry festival, and I guess that's it's uh, proven in the same way. But at the same time, it is a special festival for these kind of like 
offbeat films to get a lot of attention. Um, speaking of which, I did have to mention one other award because it sounds like a, a no film school made up award, but it's real. It's special jury recognition for very important category, best feminist reconsideration of a male artist. <laughs> See, um, and that went to. <laughs> have they given that before? That must every be year, the most five, top five every nominees year. every year. Yeah, the most surprising part of that was that there were seventeen nominees in that category. <laughs> <laughs> tough, tough category, yeah. but it did end up going to the film Gary Winogrand, All Things Photographable, by the director Sasha Waters Fryer. One of the few cash awards at the festival is a pretty hearty one. It's $10,000 from the South by Southwest Luna Game Changer Award, which supports the careers of female filmmakers. And this year, those two went to First Match by Olivia Newman in the narrative category and On Her Shoulders by Alexandria Bombach in the dot category. And I covered both of them, so I was very psyched. And also, I have to say, they were two of, of the best films I've seen this year um, on her shoulders premiered at Sundance. So I saw it there and it was just magical. I think I talked about it on the podcast as, as my favorite film of the festival and first match. I will talk about a little bit later in the show, but um, I thought these were both really excellent choices and I'm excited for both the filmmakers that they got a little bit of cash recognition, which, you know, listen, every $10,000 goes a long way when you're in the indie world, as you all know. Um, Did you guys cover any winners? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were winners just by virtue of the fact that you covered them, of course. But can you um, elaborate? (laughs) Sure. Um, So I saw and covered the narrative feature competition winner, Thunder Road. hey Which was directed by Jim Cummings. And uh, should I say anything about it? Yeah, please. You should definitely mention that everywhere at the awards party last night, people had on mustaches. Oh yeah, they were passing out mustaches because, it, again, like I, I, I talked about this. Um, actually, funny enough, both of the films that I covered that won awards were also my most anticipated movies. Um, but Jim Cummings' Thunder Road is a feature-length adaptation, if you will, of his short Thunder Road, which won the Grand Jury Prize Award at Sundance a few years ago, and it's about this cop who's basically just dealing with being a blue-collar weird guy in uh, middle America and uh, struggling to raise a daughter, dealing with the death of his mom, Uh, but he has a mustache. And uh, as a marketing ploy, they passed out these mustaches to everyone, and everyone around South by Southwest was wearing mustaches, uh, especially at the party we went to last night. I got to hand it to those guys. Like, I I didn't see that many gimmicks this year, but theirs was, I mean, they were on it. I feel like I saw them passing out those dang mustaches everywhere I went. They were hustling. (laughs) There's just like mustaches on the sidewalk. (laughs) Yeah, I think I have like four mustaches in my pocket. You do? I want one. Is that a mustache? Actually, do get one. And the other film that I covered that one was uh, Prospect which won the South by Southwest Adam Yaw Hornblower Award, um, which is basically the best movie in the Visions category. And Zeke Earl and Chris Caldwell were the directors of that movie. And I'll talk a little bit more about it later on in the show, but uh, a funny little anecdote was I interviewed them um, on Saturday after watching a screener, and we kind of just like all clicked. And I literally got... Uh, beer and pretzels with them about a half hour before the awards show started and they didn't even know that that they were nominated for this well they knew they were nominated for the award but they thought that it was being announced on friday so they were like thinking about skipping the ceremony entirely um 
which would have been really funny if they had like found out that they won uh, and didn't go to the award ceremony. But they went and uh, they won a well-deserved award. Pretty awesome to uh, win the MCA award. Uh, yeah, so those are the ones I covered. Oh, that reminds me, by the way, that the one that does get announced later and why we haven't mentioned it yet is the audience award because audiences are still seeing films here for another three or four days. And so the audience award, we will let you know next show. There are still 23 features, I think, that are eligible for the special jury recognition for best feminist reconsideration of a male (laughs) artist that have yet to screen. (laughs) Yep, and on my front, there were three... uh, Award winners that uh, I covered or spoke with the filmmakers. Special jury recognition for writing had went to Jin, which is from first-time feature director and screenwriter Nigella Muman. Uh, that's a film that's very personal to Nigella about uh, a young, a teenage daughter in California whose mother is thinking about converting to Islam, and how, how when you're having a parent that's making a somewhat drastic decision like that, how it affects the child as well and how it affects your relationship with your mother um and things of that nature so it's not a it's not so heavy-handed in that she's pushing the religion on her daughter but it definitely affects their relationship uh so it's a pretty powerful story uh special jury recognition for the luna game changer narrative award went to unlovable from director Susie unessi which is about actress charlene de guzman's battle and struggles with love and sex addiction uh Charlene de Guzman stars in the film as well, uh, playing somewhat of a version of herself, and it's somewhat serious, but also a comedy, and it's very much worth your time. And the special jury recognition for the documentary Luna Chicken and Egg Award went to Las Sandinistas from director Jenny Murray, which is about the Nicaraguan revolution in the 1970s, which was in part led by women who were looking for change because the country was in a very bad state at that time, um, and that is by a first-time feature filmmaker as well, as was Jin. So it's kind of interesting to see a lot of first-timers get rewarded. That's cool. You interviewed all three of those directors? Yes. Yep. Oh, great. We will look yeah. forward to reading those on the site. Yeah. I had one other one, um, aside from the, the two women I already mentioned, uh, the documentary short award went to My Dead Dad's Porno Tapes by Charlie Terrell, I actually know I'm not saying his name properly, and I should have <laughs> cast it ahead of time. It's spelled like Tyrell in Game of Thrones, but it's like Tyrell. I'll yeah. let you know later. It's pronounced Johnson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Charlie Johnson. Yeah. Um, and he made this. It, first of all, he's going to be on a podcast I did about documentary shorts, so that that'll uh, run at some point. But it was a really great conversation, and his short was. I'm so glad it won because it was a really unique take on the form. He did like a stop motion animation, and it was um, narrated by David Wayne. And it was a personal story, but he's like the kind of guy that's actually pretty shy and humble and and didn't and was reluctant to tell a personal story. So he told it with someone else's voice and through animation. Um, but the funny, like funny, not funny part is that it really is about his dead dad. And so I did this and I saw, you know, witnessed several other people going like, oh, you're the dead dad guy. It's like, ooh, oh, it's kind of weird because he, he I really I mean, it's better is. than being called, you're the porno tapes guy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it was a... It'd be a, better if they said the whole thing, you know. 
Hey, you're the dead dad porno tapes guy. I don't know. <laughs> Either way, he's a, a sweet guy, and it's a great short film. Um, so I was glad to see them get some recognition. And yeah, actually, the film did premiere at Sundance, and you can see it already now on New York OpDoc. So check it out. Uh, on to a couple other news items. So this one, um, this one's a, a sad one. Um, crowd control is getting better at the festival. Thank goodness. We, we mentioned over the past couple years, I think, um, the festival kind of like hit a peak, uh, about four years ago. Sadly, um, a, a car plowed into a group of people waiting in line to get into a South by Southwest venue and four people died. And I think that was a huge wake up call for the festival organizers and for the city and for the attendees to, you know, that it was time to sort of change things up. And so, um, on that front, there's been some real positive, in my view, positive changes to the festival in terms of the kind of whole flow of it, the spread of, um, where different venues are and how, um, how the events are spread out as well. That being said, and sort of a, a different but related note, on this past Monday, two package bombs went off in a residential neighborhood in Austin, killing a 17-year-old boy and critically wounding a 75-year-old woman. So from what I understand, these are uh, like pipe bombs rigged to detonate upon opening. Um, so what you have to look out for is, is small packages, which is pretty scary in a residential area. Any package could be lying on someone's doorstep, you know, delivered by Amazon or whatnot. So far, uh, officials haven't reported any connection between the bombings and the South by Southwest Festival, but everyone's on notice. So if you are here and you see a suspicious package, please do say something to the authorities or to South by Southwest staff. And that goes for you, too. Yeah, and I noticed uh, the panels after that happened started showing a safety slide ahead of the panel, letting people know, hey, take a look at where your exits are, stuff like that, and which kind of puts you in a weird space where you're suddenly like paranoid and looking at the exits, but I guess it's good, and I'm yeah. sure that they probably added more of those up there just in light of recent news. Yeah, I didn't notice uh, that slide the first couple of days, so yeah, interesting. Um, any other news you guys have kind of heard about while we're on the ground? Well, um, I have one thing I can think of, you know, South by is always a place where people are launching all kinds of stuff. And a lot of times interactive people will be launching cool new stuff. And in, on the film side, Cherry Picks um, was something that announced that it launched. And basically, it's sort of like a critic aggregation site. And it's founded by two super cool ladies, Miranda Bailey, who's a director, actor, producer, distributor, basically everything. And Rebecca Odes, who co-founded Girl.com. And basically, the idea of Cherry Picks is to sort of get a wider view from critics. Because as it turns out, most critics are dudes. Um, and, you know, as filmmakers, we always have such a problematic relationship with critics. If they uh, like your film, you're like, great, I love this person. They're my champion. But if they, you know, don't, if you accidentally offend an 18-year-old guy in line, you kiss your film a bad review on uh, on like a famous site, then uh, you don't have such a high opinion you of them. You sound like you're speaking from experience. Not personal experience, but that of someone very close to me. Um, <laughs> and But, the, you know, it's, it's such a big deal for filmmakers to to what people know about your film and, you know, what critics and aggregation sites about what critics have to say is such a big thing. And Cherry Picks is kind of focused on getting a few more female voices in there of female critics and kind of balancing that out with audience members and stuff like that. So it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that was something that I, I did see as a theme as well. I attended a panel on the female voices of film Twitter, which is just oh, a overall term for the 
sometimes the toxicity of <laughs> what exists in the world of film people on Twitter. Uh, and it had the four female critics and kind of speaking about how they will often get called out or harassed in ways that their male counterparts wouldn't be. So it definitely felt like there were a couple of topics were really about empowering and enforcing the female voice in that conversation. And it's being led by women. And Leonard Malton was in the audience for that one, which was kind oh, of cool too. Him. So kind give of give him credit for that. Yeah. yeah, that was really that was really nice. So that's definitely felt that theme. So Cherry Picks is it cherrypicks.com? It is cherrypicksreviews.com. Okay, so if you go, so now, so this launched at South by Southwest, and if you go to Cherry Picks Reviews, you can see, like, basically a Rotten Tomatoes type thing, but only with female voices. Well, it's not only female voices. They're Uh just making a point to include female voices, but it's not, like, an exclusive only to that. Okay. Um, And they also get audience picks from non-critics, but they have, like, uh, industry vetted critics who are females and other people as well and i think it's i get the impression it's sort of like in beta right now so i think if you go to cherrypicksreviews.com you can subscribe to see their more finished uh site leader is my impression i will be so curious to see if the aggregate scores on cherry picks for certain films are very different from those on rotten tomatoes that will be interesting yeah um, so as far as the festival itself, I feel like we kind of, we got right into the news and we didn't get into how is it going? What's, you know, how's it going for you guys? What do you think? Loving it. Yeah, <laughs> no. I've been, I've been enjoying it a lot. Uh, we have great food options. We have both home slice pizza and more home slice pizza right near where we live. So I, I've been doing great and just kind of walking over, uh, the bridge on in SoCo each day to kind of start that day. I feel like it's a good, like wind up to like tackling Austin. You kind of it's make really that nice. long walk. And you if kind you of guys remember at South by at uh, Sundance, it was a big deal that Eric found a place where he could eat his chicken fingers and fries every day. Oh, shucks. Park city. <laughs> and, now, and now he's got a place right on the corner where he can get a slice of pizza so the health food aficionado among us eric no. lures is doing really well I, we're working on a sponsorship as, as we speak actually <laughs> three slices per person i feel like i should point out that um eric tried asparagus for the first time this is a oh, big this deal is on the record here this is a big in deal. Austin. yeah and he's still alive you guys what Eric was referring to also, other than the delicious food, is that we're staying this year in a neighborhood called South Congress or SoCo. Um, and I highly recommend if, if you all are uh, coming to Austin for the festival, this is a great area to stay in. It's kind of like got some really great restaurants and stuff. And it's also if you're from New York, it's walking distance to downtown. It's about a little over a mile to downtown, which for us is sort of a, you know, everyday thing. Um, East Austin's also a wonderful place to stay for the festival. That's where a lot of the music venues are. Um, so yeah, we've really been enjoying that. And I think on the, uh, on the transportation front, walking is such a great option here, especially if you're, you know, from the East coast for us, this is our first taste of spring every year, which is part of why I love South by Southwest so much. I will also mention, we also try to, you know, always give you guys some practical tips. So one of the funny things about getting around this festival is that every year the options seem to change. So, Uber has left Austin altogether after some big controversy where Uber, they actually like had a, a citywide vote and like kicked Uber out. Um, last year, there was a new app called Fasten. It crashed a million times. It's already gone. Now there's an app. This is, this I is my big. I accidentally downloaded it <laughs> before Fasten. the festival. Oh, not that's knowing. funny. <laughs> this is my big pro tip for the year. If you're still coming, uh, 
for the rest of the week or if you are just visiting Austin, there's a rideshare app here called Ride Austin, which is a nonprofit. Um, you can elect to bump up your uh, fare to the nearest dollar to go to a local uh, charity, which, of course, I – I have mine going to Austin Film Society, but also the drivers get to keep the the majority of the money. So I highly recommend that one. And super convenient, the Cap Metro, the bus system, has an, an app as well that you can download onto your phone and you can uh, pay for your tickets on the app and never have to worry about having the right amount of change. Believe it or not, in New York City, you still have to have quarters. You have to have seven quarters to get on the bus. It's insane. Um, so that's been pretty cool. And there's some other uh, new stuff going on at the festival this year, which is, by the way, hard to believe because there's already so damn much stuff. But what else kind of new um, have you guys noticed or, or paid attention to since last year? There's a lot more tracks. There's 24 tracks total. Wow. What is, so what does that mean? Tracks are like um, the word they give to all the different categories of events here. And they have obviously they have music film interactive but beyond that there's all these subtracks and well, not even subtracts and maybe eric can pull up that list he had up with all the tracks but that, yeah there's like, like comedy yeah, like buckets in a sense right that you kind of have yeah. that overarching theme and within that there are uh health government uh other kind of ways that they may fit into the overarching interactive and yeah. stuff and so kind of breaking that down in more practical ways and how you can actually uh use that in the actual field so it's crazy because there's like healthcare professionals and comedians yeah. and sports actually, athletes here it's like such a strange and they say convergence and it really is like yeah is a convergence of all i these. got together with a friend from high school who now runs the city lab section of the atlantic so it's like their urbanism features and he's here for the like urban track like this it's like for urban planners so south by southwest is just like kind of exploded and I think on one hand for filmmakers that can feel frustrating like god there's just com more and more competition for people's attention but I also think if you're the type like as a filmmaker we don't just make films about films so I think this opportunity to come to one place and maybe learn about all kinds of different fields and like overarching trends in all industries is really interesting and if you're the type of filmmaker that like if some of your work kind of has a convergence element to it, like even if you're interested in say, if you're interested in making comedic films and now there's a whole comedy track here, I think that that's what makes this festival so exciting. But you, I don't think, I think you'd be disappointed if you came here just to focus on film. But I, mean, I don't yeah, know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, that is something that I actually do appreciate that it is many different uh, music, interactive film, et cetera, many different avenues of interest kind of, coming together and if you even have an hour and hey you know what you want to go check out bernie sanders yeah we can do yeah. that you know you do you want to go listen yeah, to I mean, arnold schwarzenegger talk about totally alone musk was here yeah yeah yeah. crazy uh, and of course then you have your film ones like we covered barry jenkins and, and darren aronofsky's talks as well so it's nice to kind of slip into something that you may not have any idea of what it's about other than the topic of the panel and almost you know i have some time to kill i'm at the convention center i have 30 minutes and you may take away something you know and it may not be something that you were exposed to prior speaking of panel takeaways did you guys attend any panels that kind of had some great filmmaker nuggets i was surprised at uh, how interesting this one panel was called how does vr become a truly mainstream technology hmm. 
And I've been to a lot of VR stuff in the past, and like a lot of people, I was pretty excited about it. And then I started to feel like, oh, I don't know, is this just hype? Is this happening? And I went to this panel, which featured um, people from Jaunt and Oculus and Baobab Studios. It's like the big names in kind of film VR. Yeah, people that um, obviously know what they're talking about. And it was very interesting because basically what they said is that uh, there's these Gartner adoption curves to new technologies based on the history of adoption of new tech. And in those, you know, that data suggests that the path that VR is on right now is actually what every new technology follows, where there's like hype and a backlash to the hype. And so the phrase that for the period of time that we're in now for VR is called the trough of disillusionment, oh, wow. which is sort of a temporary low. I feel like the trough of disillusionment is, is where John like hangs out. <laughs> I'm constantly eating at the trough of disillusionment, but... Uh, <laughs> That's just in my film career, but in terms of, of VR technology, you know, I thought, wow, that was actually kind of a hopeful panel because I was like, oh man, I was super excited about VR. And then, but then I was like, oh, I don't know. Was it all hype? Like it hasn't materialized yet. What everyone yeah. said, how cool it could be. Like we're just, it just didn't happen or it hasn't happened yet. And basically the, con the, the consensus of the panel and with all of these facts about, well, at least with all this data about the history of things showed that we're just at a, 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 a typical normal lull that usually precedes a much larger adoption of something. That is so interesting that it fits into like a larger tech landscape, especially because, you know, whenever we post VR stuff on the site, we get a lot of pushback from you all, you know, and, and some of it's warranted. It's kind of like, well, is this actually the future of film? And um, it, it's interesting to see that these big players are still backing that horse. Definitely. And like, especially exciting was that they just talk about basically part of the reason that we're in the trough of disillusionment is because there's just like not enough good VR filmmakers. Not enough people are making interesting content mm -hmm. in the VR sphere. And to me, that's exciting because if you're creative and interested in VR, it means like this is the best time to get in. It's an opportunity. Well, I haven't been to the VR section um, at South by Southwest yet. Per these tracks we were talking about, they actually like um, they split out the VR, AR, and what did you say, XR? MR. Yeah, M MR. MR, and they XR. on the XR mixed, spectrum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, mixed reality and and XRs, like all yeah, realities, whatever. <laughs> anyway, that actually didn't even start till Monday, so we were already here for four days when you know it uh, it kicked off. There's some good stuff here though. Spheres, which was the project we talked about that sold for seven figures at Sundance is here. There's one called Chorus here that I wrote up on the site that's like a, they call it like a multiplayer where you go into a VR space with several other people and you can all see each other in there, which is pretty cool. And also Terrence Malick has his first VR installation, which is like no small, you know, we're talking about our filmmakers really embracing this. I mean, he is a huge filmmaker and this this thing was also the first, um, it's I don't remember the name of it. Oh, I'm blanking. But this piece was the first VR shooting um, piece for Rodrigo Prieto, who's like a very highly regarded DP. He shot Brokeback Mountain and all these films. So that should be like, I wonder if those guys are going to elevate this thing to another level. I'm going to try to check it out today. Same. It's called Together. Together. Yeah. They um, worked on it together. And they did. It was a great collaboration. Uh, and I just wanted to point out in a talk that I went to, which was presented by Susan uh, Wojcicki, who's the YouTube CEO, uh, discussed how there has been, of course, in the era of, of fake news sharing, how YouTube is going to start incorporating on certain like news videos a 
embedded Wikipedia link to certain things to kind of, for example, she brought up a video about top 10 moon landing conspiracy theories. And now under that, you're going to start seeing like an actual Wikipedia page about moon landings to almost like counteract some of these stranger uh, kind of occurrences because YouTube has been getting, why is, for example, a very terrible thing about the Parkland survivors and how they were treated with conspiracy theories on mm. and YouTube kind of fueled that in a way, which was not the choice of the content uh, like that happened organically. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, how do we kind of counteract that from being overshared and even existing on the site in the future? So they're going to be doing a much more information fact based um, kind of mandate and mission going forward. But that's interesting because Wikipedia pages can be doctored yeah, too. There was a lot of, pushback to it as well um because how do you consider what goes into considering an authoritative news source you know and very interesting it's like there's what a, a lot moment of we're in exactly so there was she was a little vague i think intentionally about how those algorithms come together um but it does show a step in the right direction which i'm sure will have a lot of uh rocky roads to kind of cross listen i'm glad they're attempting to do something yeah um, I went to a panel with three TV editors and they were all three Emmy winning. Like it's the kind of thing like, oh, this is why you come to these festivals. Editor of Breaking Bad, Deadliest Catch and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, three very different types of shows. One thing that was cool, especially for you all listeners, is that um, they said that because of this golden age of TV, there's there's work in L.A. for editors now. So if you're interested in becoming an editor you know, it might be a good time to check it out and, and try assisting. And I, uh, I'm i going to write this panel up. It's like full of, it's one of those ones that's full of gems. One thing I thought was interesting is that they talked a lot about how, of course, you know, editing is not just about running a machine. It's not just knowing Avid or Premiere. Um, of course, part of it is understanding story. Like you really need to get story. But also Kabir Akhtar, who's the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend editor, um, said that it's about managing people's psychology. Like in a way you are the person that's the conduit between the whole, like the people that worked on the show and then the sort of end game, the network. And you're always juggling all these people's ideas. And ultimately like your job is to protect the show, the editor, the TV in particular, TV editor's job is to protect the show because in TV directors come and go. So one show might have 10 directors but you are always the editor so you're the one that has the sort of integrity of the show at heart I thought that was such an interesting like I hadn't really thought about the editor in that particular role before so now the portion of our festival shows that you guys are surely looking forward to as always it's the no film school coveted awards no award is ever given out twice each award is always its brand new experiment (laughs) <laughs> so who's actually first? i was gonna give an award that i gave out already oh i apologize just kidding <laughs> the feminist reimagining of a tree award goes <laughs> to <laughs> who's first who's first i'll go first okay so uh i have an award for best time period of a film at south by southwest and of course that goes to relaxer directed by joel Petrikis and the Saab Noise crew, and their film is set on the eve of the Y2K apocalypse. <laughs> which is a Did that time- happen? <laughs> well, you should have watched the okay. film, because maybe you're not remembering history correctly, but remember when we just, technology exploded and we started from scratch as a society? Oh, I do remember that. So, yeah, if, if you're craving that time period of mass hysteria leading up 
to the year 2000, set in an amazing, um, dark, funny, kind of grungy film, then Relaxer's Y2K Apocalypse is for you. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, best use of an actor contributing music to a movie he's in, I chose, uh, which is an award I take very passionately, and I go into each film looking for that credit. So if I don't see it in the opening, I, I just walk out of a film. Uh, goes to John Hawks for the aforementioned Unlovable. Uh, Hawks plays a former musician who now cares for an elderly family member and plays music in his garage. Uh, there are a number of musical sequences in the film, and the music, which is both performed by Hawks and his co-star, Charlene de Guzman, contribute to the story in very beautiful ways that by the film's end are actually really, really funny. Uh, there are music videos uh, that are John Hawks has seen in a way that you've never really seen him before. Uh, and he actually has a background in music. And so when the director, who knew the actor from her own music days, going back many years, reached out to him about starring, he was more than down to kind of contribute music as well. And it comes together in a really good way. So at Sundance, we saw Buttercup walk away with best use of horse for her stunning performance in the recently acquired <laughs> Magnolia Western Damsel. Um, the overwhelming presence of GOAT at South by Southwest, however, required a slight alteration to this prestigious award, namely focusing on GOAT instead of horse. There were several GOAT that appeared in the horror anthology film A Field Guide to Evil, but one was a clear standout. So this year's annual Best Use of GOAT award goes to Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, who are a pair of Austrian filmmakers, whose short Die Trude featured a goat whose udder was sucked on by a haunted medieval budding lesbian. And that movie is a field guide to evil. What's the what's the goat's name? Oh, I don't know. Oh, um, so it's just best use of goat. It's not best goat. Yes, best use of goat. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I misinterpreted. <laughs> Last, there the, were many great goats, but this was the best use of one. Got absolutely. It. Got yes, it. absolutely. Um, mine, I'm going to give to the best film about a film, which uh, is handed to the director and the Jedi by Anthony Wonky, which is a pretty funny last name. Um, this was also probably my best experience at the festival. I was one of the dorks that stood in line way too early in the morning for uh, the premiere of this film that was um, a, a, a BTS documentary about The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson's film, but it's way more than your sort of typical BTS doc. They didn't just run around and haphazardly shoot stuff. Actually, Ryan Johnson knew because it was such a huge undertaking for this you know, relatively low budget indie filmmaker to be handed the keys to the Star Wars kingdom. From the beginning, he sought out this documentary filmmaker, Anthony Wonky, and and was sort of collaborative in creating a doc. So so Ryan Johnson and Rom Bergman, his producer, were mic'd up for every moment of pre-production and production. They captured everything in a full verite documentary. And I think, um, you know, for Star Wars fans, it's really special to sort of see this film, especially some of the really touching scenes between Ryan Johnson and Carrie Fisher, who, of course, passed away before the film came out. But for any filmmaker, it was just so illuminating because you really see kind of like 
everything that goes into this massive, 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 one of the most expensive movies ever made from these sort of mundane meeting, you know, production meetings to people falling asleep on set after, you know, 20 hour days to the insane level of detail and care that went into the practical effects for this film. I knew that a lot of it was not CGI and that Ryan Johnson was trying to stay true to the originals, but seeing that the crew that would, you know, literally be placing hair by hair on a puppet of some some um, alien creature was just like, it was pretty mind-blowing. And actually, the film was also really touching. Like, I kind of choked up a few times as, as an indie filmmaker to see a real indie success story. Um, and... Also, a super special thing that happened was that not only did Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman come out for the Q&A, but they brought out Mark Hamill as a special guest and the audience went fucking apeshit. And it was just super, super fun. And again, one of those things that you come to these festivals for. Um, and, and there were even some touching moments in the Q&A, like this young man um, stood up with a question and he said, I've only got one arm, so you can see why I I relate to Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill. You're one of my heroes. And it was like really kind of beautiful, like as beautiful as like a nerd fest could be. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely. Oh, and the film is now out with the digital release of The Last Jedi. So um, and it's going to be a, a special um, what do they call it? like a special feature on the Blu-ray out next month. So everyone will be able to check it out. And I'm going to write up the whole Q&A and talk and everything. Yeah. And we actually got picked up by a uh, Ride Austin driver named Josh, who was a former AD in the film industry. And he said it was his favorite documentary that he'd seen, especially a documentary on a doc- based on a film. Yeah. Shout out to Josh. I, he mentioned that one of his favorite <laughs> films is The Making of Magnolia. And I, I, if, if anyone knows the title of this documentary, I, I'm Google. I'm trying to Google yeah, please it. Please message us. Uh, no, I think it was. He was saying it was a BTS. Oh, like, oh, just about Magnolia. Magnolia. Okay, well, Josh, okay, if you're don't message us. So. Josh also yeah. said that Rogue One was his favorite Star Wars movie. So. He did. Well, Josh also said that he left the industry after the IDA or the um, Directors Guild released a statistic that the average lifespan of someone in the film industry was 55. (laughs) So it's not looking good for us. It was only a 10-minute car ride, but let me tell you, we learned (laughs) learned a lot. lot. We left that car pretty depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so... um, as typical at festivals, we're actually having to wrap up this episode because Oakley's going to be recording a podcast here in six minutes. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you'll all want to hear next Monday's um, next Monday's interview podcast, which Oakley actually recorded back at Sundance. So tell us about it. But before we get into that, let's oh. talk a little bit more about Josh, I think, since we only have six minutes. Josh left. served in the Peace Corps in Swaziland. He did. That That's literally what, not a lie. It sounds crazy. <laughs> you should all know that we cut like six segments out of this show for time's sake but josh has got his josh has had his moment he did say when we got into his car he had a a soundtrack playing and he said if you guys are film fans you should definitely know what this is and who picked it out this nerd nice didn't he also say like talk about me yeah, then I took him up now, on his now, offer. Now we are like subconsciously talking about <laughs> yeah. Josh. Josh I think is you said right about me. So this was, you know. Oh, right about, about me. Yeah. Oakley, please tell us about Monday's podcast. <laughs> so on Monday, you're going to be listening to a super interesting conversation with Cody Lusich and Ginger Shankar, who are the director and producer of a film that I saw at Sundance called Akichita, The Battle of Standing Rock. And basically, Cody had such an amazing experience filming this documentary um, he went out to Standing Rock, and for many, 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 many months, 
He documented what was happening with a really amazing style of cinematography, um, including handheld and drone and slow motion. And uh, it was such an accomplishment. He has a lot of stuff to say about the filming of it. And it's sort of like filming in a war zone because he was there just with his camera and he was constantly being harassed or he would get water cannoned or he was afraid his footage would get confiscated. So he had all of his uh, hard drives buried in a teepee he had set up. So basically, it's such an interesting story. Um, And I'm excited for people to listen to their conversation. It should be pretty cool. Awesome. That will be Monday. And before we go, um, I want to give a big shout out and a big hello to all of those of you who we met here in Austin. A lot of folks came up and said how much they enjoyed the podcast and the site. We got to meet one of our super fans, Sean Michael Cologne, who was uh, filming the Q&A for a great doc that I saw called The Bill Murray Stories. Something the subtitles like something like Lessons Learned from a Magical Man. Um, And did you guys also meet some some no film school? fans i feel like yeah josh josh Josh. of course um anyway it was really nice to uh to connect with some of you and we have to send a huge mazel tov congratulations to v renee our longtime uh, no film school writer and nights and weekends editor while we were here doing a hoedown in texas she was getting married so, dun dun dun, woo! It could have been a hoedown. Congratulations! At the, at the after party. Yeah. It's not nice of you to say about V's friends. She had oh. said she was going to be wearing a a banana suit, a banana costume to her wedding, and I saw a picture. She changed her mind, and I, I love what she did instead. Yeah, they went with like a. She called it like a seventies Vegas theme. Ah, I see. So that makes yeah. Sense. Anyway, congratulations! Right on, v. Congratulations! It looks like a really sweet family. She gets a new daughter in the mix too, so it's awesome. Um, and meanwhile, uh, we've done tons of South by Southwest coverage and we'll continue to put up these interviews and panels throughout, uh, at least next week, if not longer. So please be checking that out on the site, nofilmschool.com. Next week, we will be back to you with a regular Indie Film Weekly, bringing you everything you might have missed when you were busy making films, like the latest gear and grant announcements and other opportunities. Um, we hope that you will subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And um, the ratings that you give us and the nice comments really go a long way over there on iTunes. Meanwhile, please do stay in touch. I'm at LizFilm on Twitter. I'm at Oakswagon on Twitter. I'm at Eric Lures. I'm at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Oh, Glee, let us down. I did? Sorry. I'm not normally an Indie Film Weekly. I messed it up. (laughs) We're all at No Film School. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.